For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labour, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, with the, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is the word of the Lord. Ever notice that when you are excited about something... You want to share it with others. Um, maybe some of you this summer have watched a, a good <clears throat> movie at the cinemas and you want to share about it. Oh, you haven't seen, you haven't lived until you've seen 1917 or, you know, well, that's a movie, title of a movie. Right, Ross? Yeah. Um, or maybe you see this when couples get engaged, right? Everyone on Facebook has to know about it and everyone has to hear about it or Rightly so, when a couple has um, a baby. They're excited, oh, we had a baby, you know. Whenever you're excited about something, there is an inevitable longing that you draw others' attention to it so that they too can share your high regard for it, right? Whenever something is of tremendous value to you, whenever you cherish something because of its uniqueness, or its power, or its beauty. Inevitably, you, you, you want other people to be just as keen, right? It, I, I remember when um, April and I first, uh, the 3rd of July, 2005, right? When we first got married, my youth pastor, who performed the marriage ceremony for us, said, can you believe that Rob Jenner pulled April? You know, jerk. You know, but it was funny. But, but I, I felt the same way, actually. And I, I remember thinking I wanted to stop. We, at, we, uh, we were driving to go on our honeymoon, and I wanted to stop at every servo station and be like, this is my beautiful bride. Can you believe it? I know. No, 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 no. Don't. No claps. You're going to ruin it, Colin. You're going to ruin my whole point. So, sorry. You just would. So, now... Evangelism, listen, evangelism is akin to that. When I say the word evangelism, there might be a lot of ideas that come to your mind. But ultimately, evangelism is an 
outpouring. It's an overflow because you're so satisfied in who God is and you're so delighting in who God is that you have to share that with other people. God had designed the nation of Israel to be just that, to be his missionary people. In fact, in Psalm 89, it says this. Sorry, Psalm 96, 3 says, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. You see, God had designed Israel to be a missionary nation. But sadly, nothing could be further from the truth in the book of Jonah, right? That's why the title, though, of today's sermon is Let the Nations Be Glad. Let the Nations Be Glad. I stole that title from a guy, a fellow named John Piper, who summarizes, I guess, the essence, the drive, the why behind missions. Listen what John Piper says in his book entitled, Let the Nations Be Glad. This is how he starts off his book. He says, and I agree with this, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is the ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. So worship is the fuel and goal of missions. That really gets at the heart behind missions. That missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Now, what I'd like to do is we can see that and go, wow, uh, that's interesting. But how are we doing personally when it comes to fulfilling the Great Commission? Jesus said, therefore, go and make disciples, right, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, Matthew 28. So how, how are, what I'd like to do this morning as we look at Jonah is sort of ask ourselves how we're doing, where our heart is at for the lost. Because it's very easy to sort of tisk 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 on Jonah and go, what a sleazebag this guy is. And he is. But then to sort of just go, I'm just glad I'm not like that. Or maybe the guy behind me needs to hear the sermon more than I do. But so how are we going when it comes to evangelism? How are we going when it comes to letting the nations be glad as it were? So that's the first thing. And then secondly, I want us to see God's mission heart for the lost. So first, how are we going and reaching the lost? And then, what is God's heart for the lost? So that's where we're headed. We'll unpack Jonah 4. And kids, if you're in here, I want you to think of, all children, can you hear me? All kids, think of one thing that the, Ameri the strange American man up here is going to say today, okay? And write that down and talk with mommy and daddy today. Say, 
what did you learn about God? What did you learn about the way he loves the Ninevites? And how, as mommy and daddy, sharing that with their friends and their family? Okay? So ask yourself that question. You can try to write it down and talk with mommy and daddy about it. Okay? Or if you're a teenager, sorry, I don't mean to demean you. saying talk to mommy and daddy about it. But, you know, you can talk to your mom and dad. Unless you're too cool or, you know, whatever. But... Uh, but yeah, en- engage and, and think through that, okay? So let's, that's where we're headed. That's sort of our, our map, as it were. Now let's, let's look to the Lord in prayer as we open his word. Lord, we thank you again for this beautiful day that you've created. Uh, thank you for long weekend. Thank you for times of rest. And we do pray that you would speak to us this morning. Lord, we pray for all the children that are here. Uh, we pray that they would be able to be engaged. Uh, Lord, that you would imprint on their little hearts and minds uh, in uh, just an, an, an internal perfect truth from you. Lord, help us to be able to be shaped and molded uh, not by a man's words, uh, but Lord, by your words. And we pray that you would get the glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as the scripture was just read for us, what happens? There's this mass repentance in Nineveh, right? And Jonah is so excited that he decides to be the next Billy Graham and go throughout the entire Middle East sharing that with everybody. Is that what happens? No. Well, look at Jonah 4. There's this word, it. You see it there? But it, it displeased Jonah. What's the it referring to? It means the Ninevites' repentance, and it also means God's showing of mercy to the Ninevites. Which, if you notice, does more than displease Jonah. It really makes his blood boil, and which allows us to get a, a snapshot into this man's heart. It, it's how he reacts to God's mercy. Look at verse 2. He, he reveals the reason why he, he took off and ran in the first place. He said, verse 2, And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Jonah says, I knew it was just like you to do something like this, God. Interesting, though, he has a bit of a Jason Bourne going on here, a bit of a memory loss, because he just cried out for mercy in chapter 2, right? You remember that? He's drowning, and God graciously sends a fish, and he's inside the belly of a fish three days and three nights. So he's thrilled about that. Remember the way he ends that poem in chapter two? Salvation belongs to Yahweh, right? Salvation belongs to the Lord. He's happy about that, just not God to show that same exact mercy to someone else, right? I'm, I'm thrilled that you showed it to me, just not these terrible people. Now, Jews would not, not all of them, but many of them would not have wanted to share this message with Gentiles, particularly a nation that is their enemy. 
right? Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. And so the more that Nineveh is strengthened, remember what Jonah said? 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned, right? So if they are overturned, that sort of allows you to breathe a sigh of relief because they're the enemy. Like there are certain nations in this world now I don't want to have fortified, militarily speaking, okay? I wouldn't be excited about that. And it seems like as Jonah goes and there's this mass repentance, now they're not going to be, right? They're not going to be overturned. They're not going to be destroyed. It's interesting though, this is, there's so much irony in the book of Jonah. There's so much satire in the book of Jonah because what happens not only do these people repent from the greatest of them to the least of them, but who's the good guys typically, right? When, when you look at the Old Testament, you have the Amalekites and the termites and the parasites and all these other tribes that are bad people. And who are the good guys? Who are the, you know, the Israelites, right? But here's an Israelite. He's far from a good guy. As a matter of fact, how does he respond? He thinks, oh, well, maybe God's going to change his mind. I probably have better insight on this than he does. He doesn't know how bad these people are. So he gets a front row seat, looks down and says, all right, just give it, give it 24 hours and God's still going to wipe them out. Look at verse four. Verse four. Says, I can find verse four. It's right here. Therefore now, O Lord, oh yeah, interesting. Please take my life from me for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Very interesting. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but again, I don't want to tisk kiss Jonah, but I have the privilege many weeks of, of being able to share the gospel here, right? And when someone responds to that, I'm, I don't turn to God and, smite me, almighty smiter, right? But, but, almighty. but that's, that's what's going on with Jonah. That's who these people, that's who the nation, it, it's really a critique, isn't it? Because the good guys are supposed to be the nation of Israel, and yet, who, the, the good people are actually the foreigners, right? Go back to, remember, remember chapter one, the mariners, they're crying out to all these false gods and then they sacrifice to the Lord. They're lifted up as good people and then the Ninevites are also lifted up as good people as well. At least good in the sense they're responding to God properly. And so this is a critique really on the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel wouldn't have wanted Assyria to gain power. Similar to in the church today, I wonder, some of you, when I talk about evangelism, you think of some of your lost family members and friends, right? It's, imagine, okay, think about this for a second. Because I can, I can think of someone. It's actually my sister. She is the, probably one of the last people I can ever imagine become a Christian. So, Rochelle, if you're listening to this, I love you. Turn to Jesus. So, who's the last person that you can ever imagine turning to Jesus? Now, for some of you, 
listen, for some of you, it sounds really awesome if they turn to Jesus, right? I hope so. I hope your heart would leap with that, that idea. But I wonder if you would want them here on a regular basis afterwards. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, it's like, I, I like the idea of them becoming a Christian over there, right? Because then I have to rub shoulders with them every single weekend and praise God they're a Christian and now we can sharpen each other, but they're still very much sandpaper to me. Jonah can't stand the Ninevites. And I guess the question I have is, uh, am I, am, and here's what you have to ask yourself, are you more like Jonah, right? Not them. Or is your attitude more like Jesus, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest for your souls. I, I think it's a little bit of both. No one can embody, hopefully, you're not embodying both those things perfectly, but right, like, like, because like Jonah, we are sometimes called to stand up for or even preach the gospel in uncomfortable circumstances, right? Like Jonah, we are often more concerned with our own comforts than loving God and our neighbors as we should. And like Jonah, we need to respond to God's mercy in grateful obedience. Remember, Jonah has a memory loss, right? If that was just propelling him, he would have wanted that same mercy to be showered upon the Ninevites. But what did Jonah want? What was his desire? He wanted them nuked, wiped out, destroyed. And I think, church, we can easily become like that. I mean, do you remember, if you just stop for a second, do you remember who you were before you were a Christian? What were the passions of your heart? We can quickly forget when we walk with the Lord for a while what we used to be like. I mean, you did not deserve to be forgiven. Do you know that? Like, the wages of sin is death. What you deserved is the wrath of God in hell for eternity. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, some of you probably this week are not going to meet a Ninevite, right? It was destroyed, Nineveh was destroyed in 612 BC, so. But you might need a Ninevite person, like person. Track with me? You might not, you're probably, in fact, you're not going to meet a Ninevite. Someone's not, you're not going to be at Wyoming Shopping Center and say, hi, oh, I'm a Ninevite. Wow, cool. What am I supposed to do again? Oh, 40 more, oh, it doesn't work but you're going to meet someone. What is God's assessment of these people? They don't know their right hand from their left. Oh, how that is so true. Here in Wyoming and Narara and on the central coast, people that have no idea of what it means to walk with Jesus, to know him, have no idea that they can be forgiven because of Jesus' life and death. They don't know their right hand from their left. And they, and they could be violent people too, mind you. What does the king of Nineveh say when he says, who knows, God may relent from the disaster. And what does he call all of Nineveh do? Turn from the violence that is in his hands. I think we like the idea of violent 
people who don't know Jesus and don't know their right hand from their left getting saved, but what are we going to do with those type of people in our lives right now? What did God want? So Jonah wanted to wipe them out, but what did God want to save them, right? To save the people of Nineveh. Hence the reason he sends Jonah. Psalm 86 verse 15 says this, but you, and listen if you can hear an echo here from what we just read. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithfulness. Does that sound familiar? That's the premise of why Jonah left in the first place. He knew that was true about God. And honestly, I think this could be one of the main takeaways of the book. Because does God show that same merciful and graciousness and slow to anger and abounding in stuff? Does he show that to Jonah? Heck yeah. I would have snuffed that guy, man. He's a racist jerk. Does God show that love and compassion to the mariners, even though they're foreign idolaters? Yes, absolutely. Does, does God show that same slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love to the people of Nineveh? Yes. Does God show that same exact steadfast love to the nation of Israel who are at this time likely obedient, disobedient to God? Yes. That's the whole point, right? He's just like, you know, here's the people that should be obeying God, his covenant people who should be his mission people, and here's these random foreigners over here are the arch enemies turning to God. What irony. See, the book of Jonah is not about a man who got swallowed by a fish. It's all about God. It's also more than the story of a prophet who ran away from God, as we've seen in the last few weeks. It's the story of the grace of God that pursues Jonah and the Ninevites even in their rebellion, and not only theirs, but ours. Because like Jonah, our sin reaches far, but God's grace and mercy reaches farther. Praise God. Now let's pick up the story again. Because this, this is fascinating. You know, it's really fascinating. We love character developments in books and movies, right? Schmeagle. I was hoping he'd have a turnaround. Don't want to throw away the whole book for you, but he doesn't. All right? Mr. Scrooge. It's Christmas Day, Mr. Scrooge. If, if you've seen, if you read either the book or seen the movie, Mr. Scrooge has a big turnaround. Ghost of Christmas past and present and future, right? He realizes, man, I'm a bad, rotten, selfish, no good, you know, whatever. And then he has a turnaround. Tell everyone it's Christmas Day. And he brings, you know, to Tiny Tim. And now Tiny Tim doesn't die. And he brings the big turkey feast to him. Yay! It's not the case in the book of Jonah, though. It's actually not the case. The book of Jonah, he actually just gets worse. Like you would think that, okay, God's like, hey, all right, Jonah, let's, let's talk. All right, Let, let's have this conversation. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to help you see the, what I'm doing here with Nineveh and let's see your response. Now, now look at verse five. Jonah went out of the city. Remember, he wants a front row seat, right? And sat to the east of the city 
and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now, here we go. God's going to, he's showing mercy again to Jonah. He's trying to open his eyes, really. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to shade him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do. Well, to be angry, angry enough to die. Unbelievable. Interesting. In the chronology, as it were, ge- geography speaking, he's outside of Nineveh, right? We caught that. He's got his little front row seat. In the flow of this story, revival's breaking out. But then, interesting, spiritually, Jonah's back to square one again, where he first started. Right? Sinclair Ferguson, who I've quoted before, captures this well. Listen to what he says. It is now possible to assess Jonah's position. Geographically, he was outside Nineveh. Chronologically, he was in the days of revival. But spiritually, he was almost back to square one again. He was certainly defending what he had done before and beginning to dig himself into the spiritual pit of his former disobedience. Jonah is sitting in his shelter on top of this hill overlooking the city for a front row seat to see what's going to happen if God's going to change his mind and destroy it. But nothing happened to Jonah. Sorry, nothing happened to Nineveh, but it does to Jonah. Right? There's this plant that comes up probably a castor oil plant. That's what some commentators say. We're not really sure what type of plant it is. I think that's not really the point. The plant's not the point. What's the point? The point is, Jonah, you care more about the plant than you do people. Right? You, you, you didn't even, and, and notice do, God appointed a plant, God appointed, notice God was, God's hand is all through all of it, Right? God created the plant, God destroyed the plant, etc., etc. God sees this and he tries to teach him this lesson here. It's such a scene. Right? Jonah wakes up the next morning. Probably thought that he slept in, right? Because it's hot. And then he realizes, as he looks to the right, that nice leafy shelter, that little leaf shack, whatever. It's just destroyed. Looks like a pile of weeds. And God, as it were, turns up the heat, literally speaking, by appointing a Sirocco. That's a Sirocco was this wind that gathered in. It, it still happened today. It's like a uh, like a dust storm. Does that help? It's kind of like that, but it, picture Thursday, but much worse. Okay, without AC. And yeah. And, and a Sirocco would actually suck all the moisture out of your face. And it's, pe- lots of p- 
people die to this day because of them. Animals die. It's a terrible thing. Every Jewish person would know, oh man, he's in the middle of this terrible, not only like in a storm again, right? And God says, you pity the plant and get mad when I destroy it, but should I not pity 120,000 souls and save them, right? Should I not pity Nineveh? which shows God's mercy is not confined to Israel. I think if you've already caught that in the book so far, this is a snapshot that faith, saving faith, is not nationality. It has nothing to do with actually your nationality. It has to do with trusting in God alone. And in our case, Jesus alone for the hope of forgiveness and eternal life. You know, there's a, there's a promise that God made to Abraham that through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That comes to its final fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus. And I, I don't know about, is anyone Jewish in here? Probably not. Most of us are, are a mixed bag of things. The gospel now has gone forth and we are now a picture of this you get the little snapshot in here of Jonah, which finally comes to full view, as it were, in the church. The church is the restored Israel, you see. And so it's just, it is incredible. This all points forward to Jesus in some way. And if God has adopted you into his family, we get the privilege, privilege friend, of being able to share that with others. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, fair enough. I'm not as bad as Jonah. <laughs> Hope not. That's easy. But how are you going in your evangelism? Because when I say, you know, your evangelism, you're sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel clearly. You know, in the next month or so, we're actually going to have evangelism training because it is absolutely critical that when we share, listen, when we share the gospel, we're not misleading people. Oh, God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. Believe in Jesus and your life will be blessed. <clears throat> not the gospel. Oh, God loves you and he just, he wants to bless your finances and if you trust in him, you'll have health for the rest of your life. <clears throat> Look at any human being who's ever lived. Even the prosperity preachers, they all die miraculously somehow, by the way. Can't heal their own selves. Oh, God loves you. And if you just, if you connect with the Holy Spirit, you'll have this euphoric experience for the rest of your life and you'll be able to walk on the waters and what? Eh. The gospel, friends, is going all the way back to creation that God created every one of you myself included, that we have sinned against God, both in intention, both in will, both in action, our whole beings. We were born into sin, but God didn't allow us to die in that sin, sent his son, Jesus Christ, live a perfect life in your place, a life you could have never lived and died in your place, that if you, by faith, cling on to that truth, turn from your sin, you can have life everlasting. The, the Bible says... Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Our, our job is not to 
spruce up, sugarcoat the gospel. Do you know what happens when we do that? Churches here on the Central Coast are doing that as I speak, trying to make the gospel palatable for people. And do you know what happens? People put their hand up, get baptized, and what are they doing? They're accepting a, a sugar-coated, therapeutic gospel, gospel that's easy to accept, but powerless to save. Are you tracking with me? It's easy to accept some of the, you know, the, and all the ones I just came up with. It's easy to accept, hey, do you want to have a purpose-driven life? Then put your hand up. Does your, do, you want, do you want less stress in your life? Put your hand up. Do you want... Do you, want, do you just believe that God loves you no matter what? Put your hand up. Congratulations, you're going to heaven. Not the gospel. False gospel that's easy to accept and powerless to save. And ultimately, those people come to the very end of their life, according to Matthew 7, and you know what they say? Lord, Lord, did we not do this, this, and this? And guess what he says? Oh, that's all good. No, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It is critical, friend. How are we doing accepting the true gospel in our own lives and being able to share that with others. That's what I want us to ask. It's, it's not just, and, and mind you, if you're thinking, well, I want to dive more into this stuff. Yes, we, I want to talk more about the gospel in the next few months. We're going to have training on this so that you are clear when you go, because I know a lot of you are very keen to go share, and that's awesome, but let's be clear when we share with people exactly what the true gospel is. Otherwise, it's kind of like you're signing some, it's like a bait and switch. Do you know what I mean by that? You're kind of, here, sign up for this. You know, this passage of whatever, prosperity. Oh, that sounds good. Ha I ha! Only, I only showed you half of that. We have to share the whole gospel. Does that make sense? Now, some people though, here's what I want to challenge. Some of you, because here, when I say I'm pushing for evangelism, it is imperative for this little congregation on 299 Henry Perry Drive or 301 or whatever the heck our address is, <laughs> right? To be clear on this and to be proactive in sharing our faith. Not out of guilt, though, and, and not in a way because, because some of you hear that and you go, boy, I don't know. I hear that and I go, oh, gee, yeah, I, I guess, fine. I'll roll up my sleeves, spit a ho-hum, and I'll get out there and share the gospel. But you see, that's missing it. Remember what I said earlier at the beginning of the sermon? Whenever is, something is tremendous value to you, whenever you cherish something because of its uniqueness or its power or its beauty, there's inevitable longing that you draw others' attention to it so that they too can share your high regard for it. few weeks ago, I, I lost my temper with, with one of my kids, right? And I was, I sinned against him. It's the only time it's ever happened. <laughs> right, honey? <laughs> if you don't think you're a sinner, have kids. Try, try and see how that goes for you. You'll find out quickly. And I had to apologize to one of my kids, and I said, I said, you know what? Daddy lost his cool with you. I, I, I'm really sorry, but guess what, honey? I believe in Jesus. God has adopted me as his child, and Jesus died for that sin. And daddy's not perfect, but I'm, I'm, because of the grace of God, I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. And will you help me and pray for me? 
Now, that afternoon, I was at a playground, and I saw this mom, you stupid, rah, 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 rah. And you know what would be easy for me to go? What a rat bag. No, but I, 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 that would be ridiculous, right? I wanted her to know the same truth that I have, that we're not judged. We're not ultimately looked at by our life, as it were, of trying to be a good parent. But that because of Jesus' work on the cross, like I'm now, and because of him adopting me, because the Father adopted me, I, I'm actually a, a new creation, and that my identity as a parent is not actually in my parenthood. It's actually in him, and then that's going to flow down to how I'm actually going to parent my kid now. I'm going to be the quick to apologize, and to my wife, and to my friends and other ways that I've sinned, I want other, I've got the solution. You know, you see, watch this mom, rah, rah, rah. I, I want to tell her, there's so much more to this life than just trying to find your identity in your nice car and then having your kid and going to Bali or Bali or however you guys say it. There's so much more to that because I'm so satisfied in who God is. The Bible says, rejoice in the Lord. I will say it again, rejoice. You hear that? Rejoice not for God. Get happy, clappy for God. But rejoice in God. Knowing him, delighting in him. As John Piper says, God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. That's how the gospel is going to flow out of your life naturally. You're going to feel it and then share it, and feel it, and share it, and feel it, and share it again, and again, and again. That's Christianity, friend. That's gospel living. Come hang out with me for a week, and you'll see me sin, and I have to ask forgiveness, and keep on going. I could never try to roll up my sleeves and just be a good guy for God, ever. Ask anyone that spent more than a day with me. Ask my friend Barno, who's here visiting, what I was like at 20 years old. Far from it. But I can continue to run to the cross. I encourage you to do the same. Now, before we close up our Bibles, I want you to notice in chapter 4, verse 10, this is, this is amazing. The story just ends abruptly. I don't know about you, but I feel kind of frustrated the way that this ends. Maybe because I like Mr. Scrooge endings or whatever. <laughs> right? Look at, look at chapter 4, verse 10. And the Lord said, God has the last word, right? And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. And then the story just ends. Amazing. The story ends with a question. You see that? Which leaves the final words with us. The narrative carries no conclusions because our lives write the final paragraph. For you are Jonah. I am Jonah. We should recognize ourselves in this man. We all need the mercy of God to enable us from this day on to be obedient to his commands and to praise him for his glorious grace. I'll end with this. There is 
a, a touching story, but it's challenging, of a woman who was a missionary to a tribe, and this tribe had no written language of their own. So she gets boots on the ground, lives amongst them, helps them develop their own written language, learns their language first, then helps write. And She's doing all of this not just to help them to be a nice person, but she wants them to come to know Christ. And so she spends 10 years writing the book of Matthew in their language and living among them. And she actually took out the Beatitudes just to expedia, just to make it quicker. And so when the day finally arrives and here comes, she actually had these trucks come into this tribe to carry all of these Bibles, or sorry, you know, at least the book Gospel of Matthew. The tribe is so enamored with the trucks that they're sort of just pushing the, unfortunately, pushing the Bibles aside. And they're like, wow, look at these trucks. Look at the technology. So years later, she writes, she sort of revises her first work of Matthew and she includes the Beatitudes. And one night, not long after she got a new shipment of Bibles into the tribe, the chief showed up where she was staying. And the chief was so excited that he said, this is incredible. You, you mean this person, Jesus, is not just a myth. It's not like all the other religions, but this person actually existed. Yes, he did. Well, this is incredible how you knew all of this. Where, where is he at? I want to meet him. And she's like, well, I, I didn't know him personally. Oh, well, did, did your mom and dad know him? No, 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 no. Um, well, how about Nan and Pop? Well, no, they didn't know him either, personally speaking. Like, as in, like, they didn't walk on the earth with him. And so she started explaining. She took a piece, like a, like a stick, and she made that like a hundred years. And she's explaining just how much time it's been since he's lived. Here's a hundred years. Here's a hundred years. Here's a hundred years. And with every hundred years, you're watching the chief's countenance just sort of sink. And then it dawns on him, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus walked this earth. And she asks him, are you okay? And he kind of looks up and he has tears in his eyes. And it's been 2,000 years. Why hasn't anyone told us this? And that's the question that Jonah leaves us. Let's pray. Lord, I know that everyone in this room, if they're honest, has someone that in their life, be it a friend or a family member, that needs to hear the gospel. Lord, give us boldness and love for those people in our life. We pray that whoever that person is that has maybe just sort of come across our minds that we think there's no way that person would ever come to Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would save them. We can never wait for them to repent, Lord. Only you can grant them repentance. So Lord, would you do that? Remove from them a heart of stone, give them a heart of flesh, we ask. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to, to think about Jonah, to, to contemplate on your character. Thank you that you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. What a good God you are. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.